Okay, today I'm speaking with Andy Gummersall, a Rugby World Cup winner from the 2003 tournament. One that many of you will remember, particularly if you're an England rugby fan like myself. Andy played for seven premiership clubs and his career spanned 17 years, amassing over 200 premiership appearances, one that was matched only by nine others in the premiership. He retired from the game in 2010 and he's now the director and owner of his family business, Network 2 Supplies or N2S. They're a telecoms and IT services supplier that's focused on the life cycle of products and specialising in reuse and recycling. Of course, we chat about rugby and his experiences as a professional player and the lessons he's taken from the game into the business world. And we chat sustainability and the UN SDGs. Here's my conversation with Andy Gummersall. Andy Gummersall, welcome to the Task podcast. How are you doing this morning? Very well, thank you. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, well, so, you know, afternoon for me, morning for yourself. Where, whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? Um, blessed to be in the new forest. So my, my girls are um, at school in Salisbury, so we're south, um, just on the edge of the New Forest. So we're really lucky in, you know, four months of lockdown to be able to walk across the road and be in the New Forest with uh, ponies, cattle. I saw a massive pig yesterday just uh, lying in, uh, in its lovely mud. Um, yeah, just, yeah, really blessed. So it's a beautiful part of the world. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's been a strange six months, but I, I, I think having, you know, I speak to quite a lot of people in different countries and I, certainly the connection to nature and being able to get back out there is helpful, I think, with everything that's happened. So Definitely. And it's cleaner air. That, that's been proved. Yeah. <clears throat> Walking around now, I'm still like, what are people doing driving? You know, this is ridiculous. I mean, when, when lockdown was fully on, I mean, there was literally families walking and no one, you know, driving, no one around. So, yeah, clean air has been very, very, very nice. Cool. Good to hear. Look, I mean, th there's a few things I want to talk about. Sustainability, SDGs, uh, you know, your business, the stuff you do. But obviously, uh, the rugby stuff, which, which I'm going to start with. You, you would uh, probably not remember, but I think we, we shook hands about 17 years ago. I, we have a mutual friend, Dunk, who uh, I haven't had a chance to thank you, actually, 17 years later, because uh, you I ended up in the after gig after the, the World Cup win back in Sydney in 2003. So... You know, a good place to start and, and a question in many different forms you've probably been asked, but, you know, a huge event in your life being part of that, that winning squad, um, you know, coming back, meeting the Queen, all of that stuff. You know, what was that like? What was it like as an experience, that team, that, that experience and the impact on your life? Quite simply, life-changing. Um as soon as that final whistle went and we won and the most dramatic of affairs, you know, we were the favourites. It was seen that, you know, we were playing the host nation in Sydney. It was going to be a difficult task, but I think we, we all believed as a squad and the management team that we could, we could win it. Um, we, we proved the year before going to Australia, New Zealand, beating the best teams, you know, we were confident, um, but the, the, the story and the narrative didn't pan out as simply as that and there was plenty of roller coaster highs and lows within that um seven weeks of intensity and the uh, you know the highest pressure um especially in australia where they love to uh, to hate us and it was pretty hostile and pretty abusive in in a good humorous way um right the way through the tournament um i remember them saying is is johnny all you've got kind of thing so it was it was um the, the most amazing experience, but also um, when that final whistle, um, when I just went, this is, this is life changing. This is going to change our lives forever. And, you know, what good could we be able to do with this? Um, you know, and, and didn't really expect anything from it once we got back to the UK, but um, it really did change our, change our lives. And um, the, the, the kind of power of, that moment is wonderful. Yeah, we had a 10 year anniversary and all these anniversaries getting back together, you, you really see as life goes on, you know, how blessed and lucky we, we were. Um, and, you know, what a great connection. We don't have to be best mates. We don't have to be online all the time, but that powerful connection that we'll always have, which will sort of almost grow stronger as life goes on. Um, and, you know, just, just great celebrations, um, yeah, and forever, you know, as a player, being a World Cup winner, 
it does change your life and then life after you know absolutely the power of of uh, of that is uh, the parallels to business here are insane so it's it's it was great you know just amazing and what it did for me personally was carry me through the next four years again my career didn't exactly go according to plan lots of roller coaster events but you know playing in that world cup final 2007 four years later was kind of testament to what clive had done you know four years earlier we kind of crawled and got there kicking and screaming um yes we didn't win it but it, it is literally as england found just recently in japan it can be the bounce of the ball or the tactic or you know something very very small that is the difference between winning and losing you know england only won it in 2003 with the last kick of a game you know in extra time that wasn't you know didn't go according to plan but we we'd obviously trained and practiced all these situations so yeah I, in one simple answer life-changing yeah and yeah, and especially, I mean, you, you know, what a game. I mean, it went for a ridiculous amount of time. And, of course, doing it away from home. And, and you know, there's just so many elements to it that, that were, you know, fantastic in many ways. Uh, just on, you know, in terms of the leadership, and I'm sure you're in contact with different people, that, that leadership kind of, um, that, that leadership umbrella and that role of, you, you know, Johnson and, and Woodward, what, you know, speaking to that for a minute and, and lessons from that, I imagine it was, pretty inspiring i mean you know i see it as an outsider like that maybe it's different from within but that leadership model seemed to be highly effective you know quite different personalities that led that team as a captain and a, and a coach you know anything to say on that or, or what it was like and and yeah how you perceive that and the experiences of that yeah i mean um you use the word inspiring that you know when you're in the camp um we still get inspired by um, actions, words by individuals within a team. So, you know, they, these guys are inspiring. Um, you know that when you're in a room and everyone's deathly quiet, um, you know, listening to the, the words that are coming out um, from whether it was Clive, Jono. But, but also just to add to that is that, uh, th that these guys will be the first to say, crikey, I had a good group around me. Um, and there's various tiers of hierarchy uh, of positions as well as um, leadership um, so you know there were different kind of if you looked at it you know there were different circles going round of people who had their roles and responsibilities and they had their kind of leadership you know you know some were you know small but some were very very large <clears throat> not one person can kind of lead all the way through seven weeks you know and you think of the preparation before that um, it takes a lot and then people forget actually Lawrence was captain before Jono was Jono got the Lions um, and a blip in uh, Lawrence's career may, meant that Jono took over the captaincy so um, you know he he took it on and <sighs> incredible uh, man so um, you know meticulous in in sort of his way of of leading and it was by example an action uh, rather than too many words um, but also so analytical you know he loved the game of uh, he loves the game of American football um, so you know weirdly some of some of the forwards get a bad rap for just you know being you know just trudge it up and carry and you know but actually Jono loved the tactics as well as you know the overall he let other people lead that but also he had a big interest in it, but he knew what he could bring to the table, which was, uh, and there were so many players in that squad that could do it, but it was, you know, you're never going to win a World Cup without physicality and, and you know, brute strength. And, um, you know, we, we had an incredible pack of forwards. You know, it's the, the back's determined by how much, but mainly the forwards determine that you're going to win the game. So, yeah, we had we had great leaders and they, they were inspiring, absolutely, but also as an element of not leaving a stone unturned, you know, whether Jono agreed with Clive on some of the things that we were doing, uh, other people uh, jumped on board with it and carried it on. Jono didn't stop it. Um, you know, there were, there were stuff left field coming in, but he just, you know, between them, they kind of respected and allowed things to happen. But actually what Clive did was respect on the field, you know, that, that there was plenty of good leaders in there. They knew how to play the game and let them get on with it, let them crack on. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, that, I remember seeing Johnson talk about the fact he doesn't like to talk unless he really needs to, which is a great quality in itself, right? So Yeah, I mean, we, I'd love it when I was in the huddle with him and 
the changing room and there were so many people talking. So you'd warmed up and you were sat in this changing room before you actually physically got into the huddle. And there's lots of talking, you know, the almost ticking the boxes, you know, do this, do that, and we'll win the game. Do this, do that, we'll win the game from various voices um, and leaders from the coaching staff. And, you know, literally get in the huddle and you, you, you are nervous. There's an incredible amount of anticipation. Um, adrenaline is absolutely blowing through you. And, you know, you just need a calm head at that point. And Johnny would just say, forget all that. Let's, let's absolutely just smash into them. You know, first whistle. That's all I care about right now. And it kind of just brought you back to what the core principles of a, of a physical sport, um, you know, get that bit right, then use your brain kind of thing. And, um, you know, he was pretty much right most of the time. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, look, I, you know, to, to, go, to go off rugby for a bit and talk about business, obviously, I, 12 years rugby, 12 years in business is that roughly right i had a look up after 16 yeah i mean 16 years 16, when you think about it. i mean 12 years of professional sport but um 16 years i left school straight into wasps you, you were um, right so, at the beginning of the professional era right you get you yeah, went into I mean, literally i was yeah. a second year student i think i was second or third year student at oxford brooks university and um you know sat down with wasps and they said here's a contract you know do you want to sign it and i was like before he'd finished the sentence, I'd signed it. Yeah. Um, so it was incredible to be able to, to uh, you know, you're thinking about your future life and what job you're going to do and what industry you're going to go into. But suddenly it's, am I doing a dual thing here or I've got a contract here? I mean, it was so secure for us as players. Um, it's a lot stepping into the unknown, but amazing to be the start of the journey. I, you know, I never feel sorry for anyone, but if I was to feel sorry for um, athletes that had gone before me is that they never got to play professional rugby, right? And they, they stopped at a time when, you know, they never got paid and they did it for the love of. And, and I hope that we carried it through and, and um, gave them the respect, but also um, carried on the traditions of rugby through the amateur, what we'd learned to the professional. And I still think there's an element of amateur in the professionals now, which is a good thing, you know, um, because, you know, you know, being fully, fully professional, um, you know, is tough. And uh, there needs to be a bit of um, humour and, and an old camaraderie needed within rugby to, to, to really get the, get the guys winning and, you know, over the, over the final hurdle. Um, so I, I hope that we, we continue that sort of amateur ethos into a very, very now I mean, it's so professional now. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's changed. Yeah, in, I mean, what's it been? 20 years, I suppose. Maybe longer, I don't know. But it's, no, longer than 20 years. What am I 96, about? yeah. Yeah, 96. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very different game now. But I think, yeah, the, the, the core of it is still there. Yeah. Um, so what, you, you came out went, and, and you're obviously, you, you were involved in rugby on and off commentating and, and still are, I'm sure, in many ways. But, um, you know, when was the move to, to N2S, which is family business, right? The, yeah the business now so you've been in there 10 years yeah yeah um so um i i i was very i was one of the players that was intrigued by the outside world you know we were we were absolutely cocooned so i was always intrigued and i'm very lucky to have have, have a father that he didn't share too much with me but um he's, he's been a, an unbelievable mentor to me through the process of professional sport you know you're a young kid dealing with these kind of pressures you know when you know senior guys that some were involved in business but some were just teachers or you know had always been coaches and dealing with that was really difficult you know you were, I always joke sometimes you were you were managing the manager kind of thing you know and, and yeah. learning off experienced businessmen like my dad and other people that were in his circle and I would, then, I, then I just became intrigued in business. So I started early. I was always writing business plans, pretty shoddy ones, but uh, I was always writing business plans. I was looking at rugby specifically and going, oh, there's a hole here. What if the club did this? So I was always writing, and I've, I've still kept them today to have a laugh at them, you know, latterly in life. But I was always intrigued, interested. Um, I thought I was going to be a coach because that's all you kind of know. You know, yes, I did a degree and studied but also, you know, that's what I was interested in. I mean, I lived, breathed it, talked about it till I fell asleep. And it's difficult to then picture something else. So always intrigued. Um, got involved with a couple of people, startups. So um, when I was at Quinn's, I stood up in front of 200 angel investors 
and did a pitch into something that I had no clue about, no idea, but just spoke passionately about the sport that I was involved in and what I was, what we, what the company was trying to do. And we got an investment, um, and that was huge. That that matured me beyond belief. Sat on, you know, I was on a board, you know, still playing. I was in my third, early thirties. You think that's I should be experienced, but I'm I'm like a seventeen year old at this time. You know, sat in, sat in a board uh, meeting, listening to these. And what it did is when I went back to Quinns, it suddenly made me even more professional than I thought I was and more mature, um, strangely enough. Um, and so I, then, I, then I really became intrigued. First lesson from that was, yes, it was a startup. Most of them fail and this one did. Ran out of cash. So first lesson, you know, cash is king. Second lesson was getting to bed with the right people. Um, you know, people you trust, people you like, people you respect uh, because business uh, like sport no plan survives that first contact with the enemy and you you need people that react well positively and you know get get up and get go and uh, and do good did so that was a massive two two massive lessons before and it didn't hurt or cost me um because i was still playing and yeah, so i right. learned this uh, so then then when my dad said look you know what you're doing and what you know it's an easy transition for you to join my company uh, and helped me um and he had a partner at the time and um they, they welcomed me both in so i started to consult understand the business um and the first week i walked into a meeting with jack my old man and um it was with a very very large service provider in the uk and i knew the chairman from uh weirdly enough it wasn't to do with rugby but it, i knew the chairman and we sat down i just said look I'm new to this. This is, uh, I've got my dad here to explain it, but you know, what about it? And he went, good timing. You've got a contract. And my, my old man came out of this meeting and went, Oh my God. He said, I would have taken me 10 years to get to that guy. And then sort of 10 years to work on, uh, the, the plan. And then eventually I'll get a contract. You've done it in literally five minutes. And I was like, yeah, well that's easy, isn't it? And he was like, no. Um, so he, <laughs> He, 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 um, he immediately said, right, you're on board, let's go. So I sort of passed the test straight away. Um, and, you know, I thought I would have kind of nailed it in five years. That was the plan, you know, take on the world, boil the ocean. What I learned very quickly is business is not uh, the, the quickest in terms of speed of change. And, you know, in sport, if you don't quickly manoeuvre, um, you will get hurt and you will lose and suddenly you're out of the picture and you're out of the sort of top, you know, you're out of the FTSE 250, you, you're gone, right? I mean, it's brutal. Um, and, and so I found business really slow and I got really frustrated with it, really slow. And, and to the point where I'd have meetings with certainly, you know, that was a lucky one, my first uh, contract. But I, I, I'd sit there and I'd say, Look, we've had 10 coffees. And I've done nothing. There's been no purchaser, no invoicing, nothing. I've had 10, and I'm really enjoying these 10 coffees with you. But what, what, what is the blocker? Why are we not engaging? You, you know, we're all buying signals here. Like what is the, and I just couldn't. So I become a bit frustrated and got better at it and uh, just a bit more patient, which I didn't think I could be, you know, patient. Really interesting. I was, I mean, you're answering my question actually, but it's around this kind of parallel between, you know, I'd, I'd kind of written down that, you know, the parallels between rugby and then the good and the bad. I mean, you you know, I imagine it was, there were some, gr some great things you took from rugby. I mean, it sounds like being able to walk into probably walking in with no prior kind of legacy sometimes is really handy, right? People have baggage yeah. in terms of you've been in business. I mean, your old man's been in business years. He will have preconceived ideas of how things work. You didn't have any of that. So yeah would make yeah, things a lot easier but also massively challenging in other situations where yeah. you want to get done so and unfortunately being a scrum half i was pretty open mouthed and gobby so i would sort of say <laughs> what you you do that and then you pass it to them and then you they pass it to, and then and that's crazy and they go oh hold on andrew i'm like well it's just that's that's speaking from the heart i mean what are you doing you know and they go wow okay so you you crack on and do something about it and i'm like i will thank you very much you know so um i think yeah it's swings and roundabouts with that but you just have to be very careful and uh be respectful of the way things people uh, you know have done it and i i'm now the quickest to say you know in an opportunity and a lead 
Um, they'll tell me how they're doing and I'm going brilliant. You know, I can't help you. No worries. Thanks for the t thanks for your time. I cannot help. You've got it sewn up and perfect. That's, that's very rare, but you know, um, you know, I'm quite open and honest about, you know, th th those kind of scenarios, but yeah, I mean, sport, you know, on the speed stuff, you know, sport has a lot to offer. I was always got business. I want to learn more about business to help me in sport. And now I'm flipping the other way. I'd run away from sport, you know, um, but actually the parallels in sport to business are key and COVID, you know, what happened with us recently, you know, that was a great sporting analogy for me to flip the business very, very quickly and not be scared of that. Um, yep. You know, th 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 that was an easy decision. I made it in an instant, communicated that to the team and the team reacted really well and just went, right, this is the new plan. Off we go. And I'd spent six months, you know, planning for 2020. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just went, rip, that's over. What are, what's the next? And, and that's what you have to do live in a sporting fixture. You know, you're half time, rip that plan up. We go to plan B and this is how we're going to execute it. You know, you have to. This is, um, I mean, it's very similar. You talked about pitching earlier. You know, I can see, you know, you would have thrived in the startup space, but it's the same. I, mean, I think everyone feels like a startup this year because of that reason. I mean, we are, we're in our, we're two years in and same thing. I mean, for us, it's not been challenging as, as it, I imagine it has been for businesses that are entrenched in a, in a go-to-market process and, and everything else because we're consistently doing that for the first 18 months of the business anyway, testing, understanding. So, so yeah, yeah I, um, certainly those kind of strengths would have been useful. What, what does that look like in terms of what, when you ripped up the plan, what has changed? I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, I've looked at your business and, um, you, you know, understand it from a, from a glance of the website and know you guys have a real environmental focus and, uh, you know, in the environmental space around hardware, computer hardware, everything else. But what, in, in terms of how that's changed the business coming to this year, what, what has happened? Has it been a complete kind of upheaval? Has it been a just focus on the areas that will work because of the changes or, or what? No, I mean, it's a big change, but the way I saw it was massive delay, six month delay. So whatever you pre uh, planned, and and forecast shifted by six months um, yeah. and it might be i always go six plus three if i'm honest but i think it will be six months because we're starting to come back so all the things that were delayed because we're physical we're people um yeah. logistics um ultimately the door was closed and people weren't you know they're on furlough there's there is no business there there is no physical um handling of product and by the way, then there's no kind of refresh of product because there's not enough product to feed the work from home uh, scenario and the change in the business environment. So, you know, doors was, were, weren't open and, you know, just too much, there's not enough kit and then suddenly there's too much kit. So it, all it's done for us is delay everything we've done for six months, but spend the time of, the, of this four months that we've been properly in quarantine is that, you know, planning for the future, winning business for the future. So expanding upon that. So, um, but also backfilling those orders that you had with something, you know, very, very uh, quickly. And we did, um, you know, we did two records in the company, two record revenue months. You know, everything's about profit. They weren't exactly amazing, profitable months. Fair enough. And the furlough scheme helps. Um, but yeah, you've still got to pay that in the future moving forward, uh, certainly rent and you know, rates and, you know, there's just a delay on that. So, um, we, we kept the business spinning, we kept transactions, cash coming into the business and that was extremely important. Um, but also it tested the robustness of, you know, we're a small agile business. We can do these things. Whereas some of our partners in the uh, IT world, are big cumbersome um you know one vendor always describes we're a big tanker and we take ages to turn you know and i want to scream at that comment you know that really i understand it i really do but you know i think moving forward because of covid and the fact that change is going to be um so um easy to just happen overnight and you have to react quickly but have contingencies in place everyone's contingency was weak you know, whether you had a disaster recovery element to it, you know, some of the uh, environments were like from the 2000s. Nobody had refreshed, updated. And, you know, you've got somebody who normally uses six screens. You turn up and they've got a, 
you know, 15 inch monitor, which is like prehistoric. You know, yeah. nobody had really thought this would happen and planned and invested. Now that they're going to have a hybrid of, you know, anything, the alarms go off like the war and back, you know, we're back into that's going to happen. And, and so investment will be, um, easy to come by in that regard. So we've kind of flipped in that kind of agile, um, workspace, workplace environment. So I think there's going to be a hybrid for every employee of partly working from home, partly going into the office for the right reasons. And then you're sort of on the go, um, you know, communication. So there's kind of three areas of people's work. It's on the go at home and, you know, at a, um, fixed, uh, site. And what is that? What does that look like for the technology? And um, I always, I always think coffee shops are the way to go, anyway. So, you know, people's people's environment, you know, the, you know, the Google and the, you know, the different kind of workspaces that you I go and visit and I see, you know, I'm I don't need um, you know fixed uh, in London. I just use the various whether it's a restaurant or a, a coffee shop. You know the technology you know cancels out anything and you can you can work from anywhere there's wi-fi and you know um, 4g the future of 5g i mean you can just work from anywhere now so it's dramatically changed what we're offering but it's still the same foundation of you know physical uh, removal physical installation physical removal um it's a logistics people uh, engineers and then what am I doing with it I'm either reusing it for a second life or I'm I'm recycling it and you know putting it back into the circular economy that's never going to go away that that's a, in fact it's growing you know the, the waste e-waste situation and problem is growing year on year at a quite frighteningly you know frightening rate mm. yes yeah there's so many more companies doing it um and yeah we've still got a major major issue and problem and and so what I'm trying to do is now is educate champion um the, the the problem educate and then do something about it as well yeah it's i saw um i was reading an app article about apple's oh, i don't even know what the latest apple phone is 12 that's coming out um but yeah. how they i don't know whether it was uh, i kind of um you know briefed over it yesterday but it looked like they're going to release it finally without a cable interestingly for a, to, to cost save but you've got to say this is the irony of sustainability in many cases you know it's better for the planet but it nearly always saves money for the business i mean this this is the kind of and this has gone on for many years I mean, i've seen so many cases of this where big big companies have changed their strategy around production because they realize the consumer doesn't necessarily need it they end up being able to tell a much better story for the environment and they actually save money i mean you must yeah. see this a lot i assume with the with the yeah, I mean, the, listen, the circular economy is is not just about the environment and sustainability. It's actually about the economics. Yeah. Um, it has to, it, you know, it genuinely has to make uh, all of those sense senses and 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 work. So, you know, I I'm I'm a big fan of it. Once I saw it and heard about it, I was like, this is pretty straightforward and common sense. Well, why isn't everyone doing it? But it's just a bit similar in the food industry and in, in how we are sort of marketed to and influenced to eat. You know, I think back to my career and what I was influenced to eat because of the physical size I needed to be and the training that I used to do. And quite frankly, it was wrong in so many stages. Um, and I look at the, you know, the backdrop into the food industry and, you know, and it's, you know, companies, large corporates, and government are swaying how we buy and eat. And I'm like, it's exactly the same in technology to a certain degree. So I'm a massive fan of A, uh, customers, so end user clients that have a sustainability agenda. And then secondly, the vendors, uh, the manufacturers that are providing that, what are they doing to be more sustainable? Uh, and you know, some of the companies are doing, there's loads of holes in it, but you know, you think of Apple, I use Apple because it's, you know, from a consumer point of view, most people know about Apple. Um, you know, they, they are 100% renewable, um, which is incredible. You think of Microsoft, everyone knows Microsoft in terms of they're on the platforms and the software that they use, you know, and their, their um, 10 year promise, which is to get to carbon negative, which is insane and how they calculate it and how they're going to get to that. I believe they will. And, and to, so that noise from those two companies is actually, uh, changing everyone else that manufactures and, and sells. Um, and if you're not on it, you know, I, I've, I've made this public. If you're not on it in the next 10 years, you know, I, I feel that, you know, customers will 
um, social impact as well as the um, uh, as well as the environmental sustainable way of using IT that is dramatically going to change and, and as a percentage it's not just always going to be about cost it still will be about cost but it's not you know this the percentage uh, decision making on these uh, on these big you know transformations will be made around sustainability and if you're not providing it you're not doing it you not have a goal plan you're not challenging yourself annually um, whether you're selling it consuming it manufacturing it then you, you, your business will go yeah I, do, I'm, I don't know how you think about this but for me you know I think this year is just such a you know pivoting year in general I feel that we're going to look back in 10 years at this year because it's been massively disruptive and there's no hiding from the fact that you know a lot of what's happened is down to the way we you know our relationship with the the, the planet and stuff and um you know i think it's hard i mean you, you're you know in a director role within a business and there's clearly been impact and you're clearly a um optimistic kind of character but you know what what do you do you see that and you know, do you see that there are some kind of silver linings of what will come out of this in you know next year and beyond in the way some companies and, and more companies you know their kind of social contracts that they have and you know how they how they deal with these types of policies and how they move forward and how they're perceived by consumers yeah and just in the micro you know you mentioned this is the year of change but actually in the macro um and it's a small macro is it's the next decade so this is the start of the next decade 2020 to 2030 and this is the this is the year that we dramatically need to change climate change for the positive um and, and and technology will play a massive role in that but not necessarily the usage it's not really coming from companies like myself you know providing the metrics and how we're saving the planet that that's a very very small part of it i mean data centers data is going through the roof as we know now working from home you know people on furlough were watching netflix <laughs> more more and more so data centers did very very or do are doing well and i i you know i use the terminology of server farms they are farmyards and people are building millions and millions of square footage of real estate to cope with the demand the technology will get better but they still need the environment and size and that has a you know a negative impact uh, there are cooling ways in terms of the geographics in the in the world of where to cool the best um you know equipment and data but there are others burning a hole in the ozone but it's still a small compared to the food industry uh, agriculture it's still a very small part but we're in control of it and we can do something that is obviously beneficial and more sustainable so there's a there's an element of context but also like you said 2020 micro biggest change and it's woken you know people's eyes you know 2010 to 2020 was this fourth industrial revolution around technology and how it's affecting our children and growing up and also us as a as a um you know as as human beings on this planet is that's changed now 20 20 to 2030 is the sustainability age of you know how are we doing things in the long-term view um you know because it was ignored in the last decade it really genuinely was there was the paris climate agreement what's happened since then not a lot and um so this is the decade of change and covid has hit hit that hard um and and shown you know the, the, just how dramatic pictures around the world of just from um pollution point of view um was huge um you know you could see parts of the biggest you know london you know in china you know just the, the dramatic impact that people's travel has, has made and even to the flight path so i saw one picture of the flight path of, of a day uh, around the uk and i thought god that's busy and that was now and then it went to the picture of what it was like and it was just like oh my you couldn't even see a picture of the uk it was just how intense the flights were so i think that's had a massive impact and technology has been part of the way that we've been able to cope and communicate and so technology's got a big, you know, fourth industrial revolution to now the sustainability, how are we helping our climate? And that's what's exciting. I, I'm really excited about that. Yes, it's selfishly, it's, it fits very, you know, the narrative fits exceptionally well into my current business. But actually, I was always trying to do that anyway. And what was hard for me was, you know, when you're a rugby player and you're playing for England, everyone wants to know you and talk to you. And, and then when I was pitching sustainability in the last decade, no one gave a monkeys. No one wanted to talk to you about it. It's like, whatever now suddenly the door is ajar and now i'm trying to bash it smash it open 
for people to really uh, take it on board. And we, we're winning business because of it. I, re I genuinely think that. And we've got a job to do to support our customers now to, uh, to prove it, you know, because it's always, so it's all great. Well, what a great story. And thank you. And the employee base are really happy about it, but prove it. And yeah, that's right. the, I wanted to build a business around um, that we could absolutely have the metrics to prove it. Uh, so it's really exciting. And, and we're not even talking about, um, you know, the, 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 the next generation of technology in terms of RPA, robotic process automation and artificial intelligence. We're not, I'm not even on that yet. That, that you know, or, or people are and there's tons of startups. I'm not even there yet. I'm just concentrating on what, what we can do for the environment. Yeah. And on that, um, probably a good segue on that, you know, on that measurement proof aspect and, you know, on your site, and I've seen you talk about the goals and post about them and stuff. Um, you know, we're on a bit of a business. We're on, I think on a learning curve with them because we're trying to work out, we have technology that's all about transparency, measurement, reporting. Um, and I've had experience in the past with, you know, different indicators, GRI, CDP, and we've decided, you know, the goals, they, they have some kind of marketing element to them. That's great. You know, as in, if I went and said GRI in, in the pub, I mean, it's not people what you're talking about. You know, if I went and said sustainability, UN SDGs in the right pub with a few millennials around having a beer, people would actually know what they mean. I think yeah. that element to them is, is great. What, what's your, you know, you, you're clearly as a business aligning to them, using them. You know, how, how do you use them? How do you see them? Do you think, you know, is the measurement part what's key? And, you know, what, what's your kind of view on the SDG model and how it, how it can... Well, first and foremost, thank goodness that the UN did something in 17 sustainable development goals, one of them being kind of partnerships with global you know, businesses and, and, and partnerships in business to, to, to drive change. I think that's a real critical one, you know, um, companies working together, but also companies kind of business working into government as well. I think that's really important because government get a bad rap and they're trying but actually, you know, what business is trying to help without, you know, it sort of directly benefiting them though, because you can't win, can you, when it comes to advising government. Um, but thank goodness, you know, thank goodness for the SDGs as a sort of pointer, uh, as a start, you know, and as a business, we've got a job to do to find out how we're supporting the SDGs. We, we're very clear in the four. Um, you know, one is the partnership, but the three others, we're very clear around the technology and what we're doing around the water and the you know, positive uh, consumption and production of, of, of technology. So we're very clear on that, but what I love about the SDGs is, you know, as a framework to look at, to start with, yeah. you know, different companies will have different agendas and they can just pick, you're not asked to you know, support 17. That would be amazing if you could, but it's not realistic. And what, what's great as well is it's given now companies, you know, as part of a board, if you're a publicly listed business, you know, on your board should be a sustainability lead. I see, I'd seen one of the big four change um, a, a, an MD uh, of one of the, you know, advisory companies. That MD has suddenly now become the head of sustainability, you know, and, and I like that because, you know, he's focused on the business. Now he's focused on the business of being sustainable. And, and that, that sends a real positive message. There's probably not enough investment as yet, but people are looking at it, um, whether it's a joint role, um, I certainly know that that's been in, uh, impacted in my industry verticals. Uh, people are looking at it. And then what, the nice thing is the SDGs is a start point. And it's like, how do you operate? And what is your employees kind of passion to change the world for good? And at least it gives you a, a vehicle to look at it and go, I like that. And I like that. And I like that. It might be digital poverty. It might be, um, you know, some form of, um, you know, ex um, exclusive you know um, exclusivity um, in terms of you know whether it's um, championing you know um, you know the whole racism things huge at the moment and um, I, I just think that it's, it's a thank goodness that they're there that, that's the first point and um, plenty of people though have been doing it but they've been in a minority and now it needs to be everyone needs to kind of look at it and it is hard I know it's hard from my point of view You're so focused on the business everyone normally is well it's going to be tons of redundancies being made now and the announcements and companies in retail collapsing is pretty tragic um but you know everyone's sort of under-resourced and doing you know three jobs into one and you know i know these things but actually um what i'm seeing is more and more people are, are, are have a title around sustainability 
and that might be saving paper you know cups around coffee you know but fine you know at least you're doing something for the environment and what what was great with sky news but back in the day and this seems that a year ago years ago now was they filled their studio full of plastic you know the bottles and the, with the oceans and that really started for me that kind of started that was such a physical visible uh demonstration of how bad we've been as uh, as as human beings and destroying our planet and it was just such an easy physical demonstration uh, and simple measures could be put in and companies are showing that now but also showing and showing it and and um, measuring it i think that that's really important and you know people buy off you for those reasons and you know it's not marketing you know bull it's it's you know it, it really does have an importance in how people are perceived and how people are, are procuring um so yeah the sdgs have been you know a breath of fresh air now it's just everything needs to grow at a pace and the cadence to to kind of really and, and we're, we're innovative in that we're providing these metrics not many people are providing metrics they're saying you know all these things that and there's and there's people that are assessing different companies and different you know, star ratings and then you'll sort of say well that's skewed in this regard doesn't matter they're supporting goals and they're trying the best and uh, you know as long as we start to communicate and what's interesting in the IT world is so focused on you that actually now there's there's going to be summits around sustainability in this and the vendors could probably manufacturers have run away from it because they don't want to show you how bad it is environmentally of how they manufactured but now they're coming to the fore now they have to we're kind yeah. of bringing and forcing the agenda so really SDG has been hugely positive yeah, I agree with you. And I think the the beginning there, I mean, the visual aspect, it seems like a small thing, but it's really big because, you know, I think in the past, it's been very hard for people to understand. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned other indicators before, you have companies doing some of the right things, but that will be backed up by just the spreadsheet. And, you know, communicating that with the outside world has been has not not been good. And I think the SDGs are a great communication tool for what's being done uh, for, for good change. So I agree. We're drawing to, to the end, so maybe a, a couple of quick rugby questions before we um, Diana ask you about. Were you in Japan? Actually, I, did, I didn't share. Did you? Were you up there for the I World did Cup? Go out. Yeah, I had a, a ten amazing days in Japan. Did you? Um, it was the first World Cup I hadn't commentated on since I retired. Yeah. Um, and but I went out literally as an ambassador to the um, to the government to the Japanese government, mainly around you know hosting 20, uh, Olympics 2020, Tokyo 2020. And of course, obviously that's been pushed back. Um, but it was, I, I properly, normally on rugby tour, you go hotel, hotel, and blah, blah. But I properly, I mean, literally from the moment I w woke up to the moment I hit, hit the pillow, um, you know, to sleep, I was on it doing incredible, like first class experiences of the proper Japan. And it was off, I, off the scale. Awesome. I was, yeah, off the scale. And then what an amazing culture, people, uh, country, um, incredible. And they, they, yeah. they're resilient. They are resilient people. So, you know, COVID would have hit them hard, but yeah, they're, they're actually, they were probably more prepared than anyone. Yeah, I was. I didn't go. I'd love to have gone. Obviously, it's local to me here in terms of you know a World Cup. But um, I was in the UK actually when we played New Zealand. I then came back to my little hometown to watch the final, surrounded by Australians and South Africans. But um, I imagine you know you're. I, I was nervous about that final because of what an amazing performance that team put in in that semi final. I mean, it was just something I hadn't seen. I, I don't know how you felt about it, and you know, I'm I'm sure that you had massive empathy because, you know, teams going into such a big event like that. But, you know, from, from your view, what, you know, is it just that South Africa came in with a, a game plan based on being able to see England pay, play their best game the week before? And, you know, it's not an easy question to ask. There's probably a million different reasons, but I'd love to understand your perception of how that final went and how difficult it was. And, yeah, I mean, South Africa are unbelievable, really, because um, yeah, we looked so strong. Yeah, I think um, so. They're you know massively proud of their performance in the semi final against New Zealand, and and then you know sort of following those days, um, yeah, my feeling was how Eddie had got that right and got so many things right during the during the World Cup and selection and tactics. I was really confident against South Africa, to be fair. But then as it started, literally the first 
kickoff to the first scrum, uh, obviously Kyle going down injured, I, I could just see the writing on the wall. And, and it's horrific when you're in that position so early on that you're thinking, how am I going to win this game? Um, so we had that in 2007. What I would say is probably those guys in 2019 probably would have been the South Africa in 2007. So that, that, that to me is a compliment to them. Um, unfortunately for them, yeah, the terminology that's been used um, is it's been they played their final in the semi-final against New Zealand, and in 2003, one of the routes due to beating South Africa in the pool game was that we would get uh, what we thought was an easier journey to the final, and you're sort of missing New Zealand. Uh, so Australia played New Zealand in the semi-final there and beat them, and sort of did they pay their final in the semi-final, and then you know we we beat them in the final. So. I think there's an element of that because New Zealand are, are the best team in the world. They beat South Africa in the pool game. South Africa were the first rugby, na- rugby nation to, to uh, win the World Cup by losing a, a, a game. And that, that that's right. Yeah, I remember before. that. Yeah. But, but the, 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 the overriding kind of feeling I had was um, I knew straight away in that final tactics were wrong. Um, and, and that... that you, you you never know how it's going to pan out. You know, you plan all of this, you meticulously you know, visualising it, and then the kickoff happens, first hits. You kind of never know how it's going to go. Um, and, you know, had we kept playing for another hour, would we have won? I don't think so with the tactics that we were playing. Now, what tactics? Come on then, Andrew. What tactics were going to win that game, right? Um, I'm not the expert. I don't know, but I just know it was wrong. Similarly, um, I think we sort of had the right tactics in 2007. We just weren't good enough to get it over the line. Um, literally, the line being the uh, the cruel part to the to that result, which was was it a foot in touch, wasn't it? Um, and um, it's kind of written in the annals. It was in touch, and you know, it's kind of game over. We didn't win, but that's the difference between you know the elite level and and it's so quick as well to prepare for that. The biggest game of your life. I mean, that's the other sort of. Uh, tragedy for for us as sports people is that literally you're, it's this small window you train all your life to, for this moment it's a small window you win the semi-final you're euphoric you know you've got another final you've only got six days to really properly prepare get it right to win that and only you will be remembered if you win it um, not lose it so it's such a tough place to be but then latterly in life you think what a great experience you know, now I'm in business. The parallels are in for business are huge, but they just got it wrong. And it was, you know, not for the lack of endeavour and heart and everything. We, all, all the ex-players, especially the World Cup winners, were so proud of people. People would joke, you know, oh, you're glad that they lost so you're still one of the only 31 players <laughs> that got there, you know, and it's rubbish because I wanted, you know, I, want, I wanted that group. They deserved it. They really did deserve it for everything they did. They were great ambassadors on and off the pitch. I witnessed it out in Japan. I stayed in the same hotel as them. Great ambassadors. You know, they they did everything right. They brought um, massive pride to, to English rugby where, where we were hurt in 2015. We hosted the best World Cup at the time. You know, it really was genuinely the best. I commentated on it and it, and yet we couldn't deliver on the pitch. And it was, you know, tragic. Um, that will hurt the players more than losing a World Cup final, right? Um, yeah, so, I, flew, I flew back for that one. 2015 but yeah with you I think they're a they're an awesome team and yeah I think neutral supporters felt it was interesting the the feeling after that game as a supporter in the pub it was neutral supporters felt going into the game we should have won but they also no one felt bad that South Africa did win because it was just one of those games it was like the Kiwi game you know just the everyone was like so impressed by the performance so I think that was the great thing about this World Cup is you know, as it went through, people that were winning games were really, there was, there was very few, there was a little bit of controversy, but I really felt, I didn't feel dissatisfied, you know. If it had yeah. been taken away because we were the better team on the day, I would have been, but I think, yeah, like you say, if it had gone another hour, probably, you know, probably not. Yeah, and everyone was kind of, the, the, the story, the narrative behind it for the country was, was massive. Um, and we know, I've known players in that squad. Um, and, and I was yeah, absolutely delighted for, South Africa and those and what it did, did does and is doing for the nation and it is amazing but you know that isn't the reason that they won it it is down to on the day tactics getting it right um, and 
it was the same for us in 07. You know, our discipline was poor. We, we, we gave them too many penalties to chip away ahead of us. Yeah, and um, we, we, we thought we had the right tactics. But, you know, again, you know, we'd run out of steam by the end of that. The squad was you know, in, some of the guys were injured. We didn't have the full team. And, you know, all these things happen, right? But South Africa got it right, nailed it. And with losing against New Zealand, that has never happened before. Um, so, you know, you thought England would, would do it having won all the, won the games. And, and also the typhoon didn't help because we'd have been nice yeah, to have played France and beaten yeah. France, um, which would have carried even more confidence. But who knows? Who knows? It's, um, it's a strange one, but you just got to get to the final. And that's, that's why I was, I was proud of, you know, of my, of my sort of England time of that sort of, you'd say, eight years from 2000 to 2007, eight. You know, that two World Cup finals is not a bad, uh, not bad. Definitely. I was at the second, the 2007 one, actually. I was at that in Paris. Yeah. So I remember that well. Look, you know, really appreciate it. We're kind of at the end of the time and you've given more than, more than I expected. So really massive appreciation, uh, Andy. We, we didn't touch on any of the charity stuff you do. I've got some notes down here, but I think as just a, um, as a sign off, you know, where can people find out more about you? Obviously, you know, involved with the School of Hard Knocks and the Wooden Spoon Charity. You've got your business. You do a lot of stuff. I mean, if people want to learn more about you, um, you, you know, where, where can they find out, you know, what, what you do uh, as opposed to the rugby and the business and everything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to, and I've got a job to do really with, um, the, I like LinkedIn because the, the business context to it. Um, got to be careful not to sell on there. Um, and, you know, it's not, I don't want it to be a recruitment tool either. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's a good business education platform. And so I've got a job to do on that really in terms of video and content educating on that so i sort of use that mostly as kind of messaging uh, b2b so that would be where it was and i use that obviously that as a vehicle for the charity stuff that we do it's a school of hard knocks wooden spoon um i'm now a trustee to a, uh, a charity that's just started up which is um phones for patients you know we have 21,700 care homes in the uk yeah, staggeringly and you know through this covid time you know loved ones have not been able to to speak to family members in these care homes uh, physically, but also technology-wise, they haven't either. So phones for patients were set up to for companies to donate um, their some of their uh, end-of-life phones so that we could um, reuse them in the care home. So at least then there's some technology and people can see. So that, that was a nice one to start up. And there's tons of other things that we want to do around digital poverty as well for vulnerable disadvantaged children that you know staggeringly i'll leave you with this one that half the world's population doesn't have access to the internet at the moment which is i just yeah it just blows your mind um so the other, half, yeah. the other half's on tiktok yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. like it is insane I tried, to, I tried to get my children to explain what it is and uh, they still can't do it right um, <laughs> but, um yeah, so LinkedIn's probably the be the best place. Right. And, uh, I'll try and try and be not not as silly and be more educational on that. Cool. Well, I'll um yeah I'll I'll, I'll write up a, a little bio obviously with the with the podcast for our listeners and I'll, I'll put your LinkedIn profile on there if that's cool. Um, right. If anyone wants to learn more and get in touch, but uh yeah, really really great to chat and and thanks for sharing so much and yeah, I hope everything's good and safe with with family and everything else in the UK. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Cool. Cheers, mate. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.